All right, everybody, thanks for listening to another episode of the Business Talks podcast. Today, my guest is Troy Scabland. I uh, hope I'm pronouncing that right, Troy. Feel free to correct me if I got it wrong. <laughs> you got it right. Awesome. Um, and he is, I would say, a man of many talents, but comes from that accounting and finance background, uh, has a lot of uh, influence and involvement with VC uh, funding, capital, raising of capital and whatnot as well. So excited to have that um, conversation. Uh, but without further ado, Troy, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. And for the for those wondering, the last name is Danish. I got gotcha. you. Cabinet Grove. Oh, okay, cool. And you did pronounce it right. So good, yes. good. I forgot to ask before we started, so I, I always uh, get a little worried. I'm going to totally butcher it, but um, but yeah. So let's let's just get started. Just get the listeners and the viewers a little comfortable with you know who you are and how you maybe got to where you're at today. So however you'd like to out or kind of line that up. We have a lot of people that are interested in kind of the finance side of the house, if you will, um, within a business or an organization. We have people that are in college right now studying accounting all the way up to some CFOs that I know of personally that listen to this podcast. So, you know, it, it, everything I think you say is probably going to be valuable to one demographic or another or one stage of that career or another. So would you mind just kind of letting us know how you got into finance, into the CFO role, into VC, capital raising and all of that? Sure. Yeah, for uh, you know, first off, uh, worth mentioning, I grew up in a very small town. Uh, my hometown has uh, 150 people. Oh wow! The entire county I grew up in has under 500. Um, and I've gone on to lead teams on six continents and you know work with businesses in the billions. So I'm proof that you don't have to come from a particular background to to you know carve out an interesting career path. So I got into uh, finance, really, it was a linguistic thing for me. Um, a lot of my peers, when I was uh, studying at Brigham Young University, which has a, one of the top accounting programs in the country, um, my motivation for getting involved with accounting was different than theirs. Many of them uh, liked the math and the, the rules and the structure of accounting. For me, I had learned Spanish. Um, I have a minor in Spanish and, you know, I've worked with people from over 24 different Spanish-speaking countries. Mm -hmm. And when I took my first accounting class, I realized it was a language. And that if I became fluent in it, it would be very helpful in the business world. Yeah, And that's why I pursued a degree in accounting. Um, I, along the way, studied a lot of technology. And um, I viewed that as another language. And so when I started my career in public accounting with uh, PwC, I actually negotiated a a dual offer and got them to agree to cross train me in both financial audit and systems audit. Uh -huh. And so from the beginning of my career, I, I was kind of an eclectic mix of disciplines and I've built on that throughout my career to, to get to where I've, I've made it. Um, I started my career in Seattle, uh, did a lot of work with out at Microsoft, spent probably nine months of the year at Microsoft doing various projects, uh -huh. um, did a lot of work in the wireless industry with uh, companies like T-Mobile and AT&T, um, and then just random companies. One of my companies, believe it or not, is the company that the show Deadliest Catch, where all the guys are uh -huh. uh, harvesting king crab up in the, the Arctic Ocean. They sell all of the crab they catch to a client of mine in Seattle. Oh, that's cool. So, you know, kind of a bizarre story. That probably <laughs> the last company on the planet I ever would have guessed would have their own reality TV show. Yeah. But, uh, you know. Who'd have known? Anyway, I, I spent time in Seattle, got involved with, of all things, digital advertising. Uh -huh. 
um, I was asked to join an audit team that did work out at Microsoft to audit all the digital advertising that uh, advertisers paid millions and millions of dollars to have banners and buttons and other things show up on websites. And they had no way to know if they were getting what they paid for. Mm -hmm. And so I was one of the first uh, people to learn how to audit um, digital advertising. This was back when it was still formal. Brand new, yeah. And through that, I ended up working with, at the time, all of the top companies, which included MSN, uh, Yahoo, AOL. And this was back when, back in the days of dial-up modems, yeah. to date myself a little bit. <laughs> but um, as a result, I ended up learning every you know a lot about a, an emerging industry that has gone on to become a very common Huge. business model yeah. for a lot of startups. And that led uh, to an opportunity to um, join the Walt Disney Company. Mm -hmm. And I, I was hired to run a revenue operations function that um, handled all of the digital advertising for ESPN and ABC and Disney. Mm -hmm. And uh, from there, I had an opportunity to move to relocate to California from Seattle and head up the finance function for the Walt Disney Internet Group. So I, I eventually became the CFO for Disney Online, was involved with some high-profile acquisitions, you know, Pixar, Marvel, wow. Lucasfilm, yeah. and then a number of, you know, a whole series of smaller and mid-sized acquisitions. Did some work for Steamboat Ventures, which was Disney's corporate venture capital group. Mm -hmm. We would identify upcoming technology companies and take small minority equity positions in them and then share in the upside. And uh, after I left Disney, I did some turnaround work for an independent animation studio in Burbank and helped them w complete a film that won the Venice Film Festival. And uh, then I ended up hired by a private equity firm and was the CFO for the largest investment they'd made in their history. Wow. It was uh, about a billion dollar company that uh, rented e production equipment to reality TV shows, huh. concert tours. Um, we did over 3,500 live sports events a year, including the Super Bowl halftime show and things like uh, the Rio Olympics, World Cup soccer, um, Wimbledon, you know, you name it, a lot of different live events. We did things like the Sports Illustrated swimsuit uh, photo shoot <laughs> and Survivor, The Voice, you know, a lot of just random mix of different projects where we were providing the equipment. So. Um, the uh, I got my CFO start though um, at Disney, and mm -hmm. I'm grateful for the the time and experience that you know I, I both spent and gained there. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I mean, I just don't think you have enough room on your LinkedIn to even state all of that, and that's why I was <laughs> probably more shocked than even expected, um, <laughs> just having looked at your LinkedIn. But um, wow. Okay, so so obviously you had a broad range of experience, and I know this is something that you know, those that are maybe in college studying accounting or, you know, have that goal of someday being a CFO, you know, it, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? So they're looking back and they're like, well, this guy, you know, just happened to be, you know, right in at the cusp of that, like direct to consumer marketing um, through Google, Yahoo, or business to business marketing through Google, Yahoo at the time. Um, and, and so it's easy for them to maybe say, well, well, yeah, but he like kind of just ended up there. And then that brought him into, you know, a, a number of other avenues. I'm sure some of it was planned, some of it was accidental, but like what what would you say maybe to those that are starting out their career or they're, you know, in maybe a controller role and really want to get to that CFO level or just across the board, someone in 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 shoes like yours, but you know, a few years back, you know, what do they need to be doing? Do they need to be 
kind of branching out and diversifying their knowledge set? Do they need to focus more on just the day-to-day work at the office and getting better at that? Like, you know, since we're pulling from someone with a lot of experience across a broad range of, of kind of industries, I think it's a, uh, an apt question. Sure. And, you know, there's no, no one answer, you know, no one size fits all for everyone. But I, I can tell you there are some fundamental principles that have led to the, mm-hmm. the successes and the opportunities I've had throughout my career. The first is I am a huge believer in the value of a mentor. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I started my career in public accounting, I had the privilege of working for three female partners at PwC. Mm-hmm. Now, at the time, there were not a lot of female partners in public accounting. So to work for three of them and have those be the primary people that I reported to was really unique. And they gave me a lot of opportunity and development and nurturing that, frankly, a lot of other partners didn't have in their DNA. Mm-hmm. So I'm a I'm both a fan of of mentors. I'm a fan of strong female executives because I've I've seen firsthand what they can bring to an organization. Yeah. Um, but when I joined Disney, I was um, hired by someone, fortunately, who was a strong mentor, and the entire twelve years I was there benefited from advice, feedback, and coaching. And ultimately, you know, if you're going to try to create your own luck, um, having an experienced mentor who's been there and done it and that's further along that has mm-hmm. deep connections with other executives and other companies is a tremendous asset. Yeah. And I would suggest to, to people earlier in their career that when you evaluate a job opportunity, whether there's a mentor that will be actively championing your cause should be a major factor that you weigh yeah. in any job offer. Mm-hmm. That's worth more than money because it, it leads to upward mobility and also, you know, just helps you be more effective. So that's that's one. Yeah. Another principle that I think is, you know, was really key to my success was um, always remain curious. Um, I'm a curious person by nature, and I like to try to understand how things work and why. Mm-hmm. And it's not enough to be su- successful in finance to just understand how the math works and how the the numbers work. It's more important to understand how the people work. And how the business itself works. And you know, investors tell me all the time, they don't invest in the horse, they invest in the jockey. Mm-hmm. And uh, the same is true with your career. Yeah. Um, just knowing how to handle technical accounting or how to complete a forecast or you know, model something for an acquisition, that's great. Those are skills. But skills can be taught. And there are a lot of people who can learn and acquire a skill. Having a deep grasp of the mechanics of an industry or how a business model works, mm-hmm. and then understanding how different functions in an organization contribute to that business's success, that's really the secret weapon to for advancing your career. Yeah, And you know, a, a mentor of mine in the past used to tell me, you can't unload an empty wagon. Mm-hmm. You have to load it with something before you can offload it. <laughs> and that's true with your career. Your ability to constantly learn and gather a deeper understanding of things is one of the things that makes you versatile. And the more versatile you are, the more successful you can be when you're required to adapt. Mm-hmm. And it allows you to you know, be given different assignments. And you know, they, people can have more confidence in throwing you into an unstructured role mm-hmm. and knowing that you're going to succeed. Yeah. So you know, that, that curiosity com- combined with a, a mentor 
you know, goes a long way. Yeah. And then the last thing I'll tell you is in some cases, it just comes down to recognizing the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went into digital advertising, you know, as an auditor, at the time, a lot of my peers thought I was nuts. They didn't understand what this was. You know, no one had been auditing digital advertising in the past. It was less understood. And as a result, a lot of people kind of veered away from it. Mm-hmm. My willingness and eagerness to lean in in part had to do with the fact that I had learned a lot about technology. And I knew that it was a technology dependent, um, you know, sector. But a lot of it just had to do with my recognition that there was going to be opportunity there. And if I was willing to invest the time to learn something new, that it could pay off. And, you know, did I know that it would take me to Disney and beyond? No. But um, that willingness to learn things that you don't have to know, mm-hmm. that you don't need for your current job, right. is pivotal to opening doors and even windows. Sometimes you got to crawl through a window, not the door. Yeah. Um, that'll advance your career. Yeah. No, that's, I think that's awesome advice. I think it, it mirrors, uh, it gives me a memory of Larry Lloyd, who's a CFO that's been on the podcast before. And I would say you almost, almost verbatim gave kind of the similar track advice that he did. Um, and so just to summarize, it's really a matter of, you know, having that mentor. So if you're in a job where there just is no mentor position, you know, you just need to understand that that could affect your career in some ways that you may not prefer it to. Um, and so having that mentor and then being in some ways industry specific, in some ways, a deep understanding of your current industry, not that you'll always be in that industry necessarily, but having that deep understanding is extremely important and will allow you to uh, really grow in that role. And, and it makes sense if you understand not just how to run a report for the construction industry, for example, but you also understand how the billings out and the billings in and all of these other elements of it, how the entire EBITDA runs and the PL looks like. And if you understand those things, and even the cost of something going up or down, how that affects you know your business across the board, or even just how it tends to work. I mean, especially in construction, you know, it's so up and down based on jobs and job projections and and all of that. Um, and so I could see that being extremely valuable if you're not just you know a CFO or a controller or someone in accounting, someone in finance in that department who's reactionary to hey we didn't get that job after all, or you know and we could give example after example on each industry. Um, but I could see how really being someone that the company can lean on, having a mentor that can push you out into that industry or into that field, um, and and really just having that hunger for continuing to learn things that aren't necessarily required on your resume to get a job like yours, um, but would be very valuable and actually adding value to the organization, I guess would be a safe yeah. way to say it. Yeah, one point that I would add to that, um, you know, obviously, you have to build your personal brand by being credible in, in your core um, your core capability set. Mm-hmm. But I think it's um, it's equally um, important that you demonstrate to people that you can transfer the knowledge that you've learned from one setting to another. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you an example of that. So I worked, you know, I worked for like seventeen years in digital advertising. As a financial professional, but an executive, but I was dealing with financial, with digital advertising-based business models. Um, I, I later interviewed to be the CFO of a children's hospital. Um, one interesting thing about me, um, I've got uh, three brothers and, a, and an older sister, and we, we all came from a tiny town. Mm-hmm. I'm the black sheep of the family. All four of the others have worked in healthcare. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. I've got a brother that runs rural hospitals. I have a brother who's a very successful uh, medical sales uh, executive. 
I've got another who was a, a lab technician at a hospital and a sister that worked in addiction recovery. So I, I tell them, well, you know, laughter's the best medicine. So I went to work for Mickey Mouse because that was my <laughs> contribution to people's health. But, the, but when I interviewed for the CFO position, first, the HR team at the hospital was fascinated. Here's a you know, 12-year Disney executive, and they were wondering, what in the world do you want to, um, why do you want to be the CFO of a hospital? You know, I'd been running digital advertising and media and different, you know, social media and, you know, all mobile apps and all these other things. But what they didn't know, but I, I did know, was there was a remarkable similarity to one aspect of digital advertising and medical billing. Digital advertising is made up of a lot of little transactions that are small dollar amount, and you have mm -hmm. to code them correctly for everything to work. Yep. And if you don't code it correctly, you don't get paid. Yeah. Well, that's true with healthcare billing. You know, yeah. if you're billing for a hospital, you've got to have it coded properly or it'll determine both if you get paid and how much you get paid. Yeah. And when well, you get the, paid. <laughs> and when you get paid. Exactly. And and whether there's a dispute and a lot of you mm -hmm. know time wasted and energy wasted. Well, the the when I interviewed and I explained this to them, um, at the time the healthcare industry was changing from one set of billing codes, like version nine, to another set that's version ten, and it's a much more complex set. It has you know, like one of the codes is kind of funny, but there's a code for walking into a lamp post, which was the, the, the code that was always used when somebody was texting or looking at their phone and they walked yep. into something. Well, it's not necessarily a lamp post, but that's what they would code it as. Well, now yeah. they've got a bunch of codes that say what you walked into you know, while you were walking and looking at your phone, which is yeah. kind of funny. But um, the, the fact is that if you don't code it right, it'll de determine, you know, you might get nothing or you might get very little for something that you should have gotten, you know, decent money on. Well, I explained to the hospital um, staff as I was interviewing, in my prior job at Disney, uh, during March Madness, if my team miscoded something, we basically launched a denial of service attack on our own website. Oh, wow. You know, by mistake. Yeah. Something that we could do could cause the, you know, the whole site to go down. So I said, imagine if someone in a hospital was billing for something, and if they billed it wrong, the power shut, you know, shut off. Yeah. And uh, it helped them understand, wow, okay, you, you know, understand how to deal with this, but you also have done it in a high pressure situation. Uh -huh. And so I ended up uh, beating out like four or five other career long healthcare CFOs. Wow. I, I beat them out, even though I'd spent the last 12 years working in the entertainment industry. Yeah. So it just goes to show you the importance of like knowledge transfer. Technology transfer yeah. is usually taken from one industry and is applied against a different problem in another industry. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the what, reason why you should learn your own industry well, because later, if you work in another, you want to be able to apply the things you've learned somewhere, mm -hmm. you know, somewhere else. But also, you should take time to learn how other industries solve common problems, because mm -hmm. perhaps those are going to be the solutions for your current company. Uh, I, yeah. I hired people when I was working in digital advertising that came from the airline industry, the hotel industry, uh, I, a guy that drive, drove a beer truck, someone who was mm -hmm. a, owned their own restaurant. Like I was hiring people from really diverse places and each of them brought a different perspective that helped us solve yeah. a different set of problems. So I'm a big, if there's one complaint I have about some finance and accounting professionals, in particular accountants, is they often think that all they have to do to advance their career is learn their own trade. And I think that's a big mistake. Mm -hmm. It's important that you learn as much about other people's craft as you can and that you learn as much about mm -hmm. different industries and business models as possible, because in many cases, you're going to find more solutions from elsewhere outside your industry than you are from within your own.
Yeah, that's an amazing, I mean, it's an awesome insight. And that's something that I think we hear on a regular basis of, um, even just on LinkedIn for me, uh, you see it all the time of, of, you know, HR professionals saying, you know, we hired this guy, he wasn't actually qualified for the, for the position, but these are the reasons we hired him. And he turned out to be like our best employee and fixed a problem we've been having for years, you know, um, having at one time been in the restaurant industry, I understand the restaurant owner. Uh, that's, that's a person that knows how to deal with problems. <laughs> that's right. They're a problem solver every day. Yeah. And they also deal with, um, dynamics like that industry can change so rapidly yeah. that the problems that you face next month can be entirely new set of yep. issues from the ones you've faced before. Yep. Now, the other thing, by the way, of all of this that I'm talking about, when it comes to like diversifying your knowledge, it's equally important for a business owner. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's one um, fallacy that I see with a lot of owners, they think that just getting really good at one thing is going to be enough to build a business you know, and to scale it. And mm-hmm. the, the reality is it's what you don't know that usually holds you they back you. more than what mm-hmm. you do. Um, the, the fact is in, in my career now, I work with founders of companies and, and portfolio owners. So venture capital firms, private equity firms, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of family offices. Um, and they, whether they're a founder or they've invested in a founder in their business, um, there's a, a need to bring more expertise into the business. You can't just work mm-hmm. harder. You've got to work smarter along the way. And yeah. um, the the fact is that the most successful founders that I see um, come to realize that they don't run a business. They run a team that runs a business. Yeah. And instead of trying to be the answer to everything and be the, you know, the CEO and the chief bottle washer all at the same time, they learn mm-hmm. that they've got to find capable people and develop and empower them so that they, you know, now that founder doesn't have to be everything at all times. And yeah. in some cases, that means you have to spend some money to pay for expertise. And I see some owners are allergic to ex- paying for expertise. You know, mm-hmm. they have, they're, they're squeamish. They'll, they'll uh, avoid having to pay for something. Instead, they'll look for what's cheap. Well, the f- problem is experience isn't che- doesn't come cheap. Um, you either yeah. pay for it with blood, sweat, and tears, or you can pay dollars for it and you know, l- learn in a hurry from somebody who's already been through yeah. that. And uh, so, you know, whether it's you personally in your own career or it's um, you as a business owner, in, in either case, diversifying your knowledge and your capability set is valuable. And where you don't build it, you can buy it. And you don't just buy it with money. In some cases, you buy it by building relationships of trust with other people. Yeah, adding to your network and actually listening and applying some of the the things that other people can share with you, and that's why I've ended up now where I not only do finance, but I work. I lead a group of uh, at advisory zone of over twenty different uh, consulting firms, mm-hmm. and we collaborate as an alliance, and it allows us to to work together to to offer as a bundle a range of services that individually no firm would be able to to offer. But it mm-hmm. also offers a solution to business owners and to portfolio owners where they can get the t- type of deep expertise that a private equity firm has on its payroll year round in management mm-hmm. consultants. We can offer it on a part-time basis. So you can get the same quality of depth of experience and expertise, but you don't have to pay a really heavy price every month and pay for that entire person. And yeah. so I've learned to not only network with a purpose and you know, diversify my abilities. I always try to learn everything I can, but 
If you can't beat them, join them. And that's one of my networking goals is to find people who are smarter than me at something that um, <laughs> could be beneficial and to co-op them into my network and form an alliance so that we can go to, go to war together. And it's yeah. been tremendously successful. So you kind of run a cost benefit analysis. Like, do I want to learn what this guy already knows how to do? If not, or if it's the barrier to entry is so high or just not really something you're interested in, then it's okay, let's work together because <laughs> I don't want to spend, yeah. you know, 40 hours a week in the next year learning some, if not some of what you know. So that makes a lot exactly. of sense. Exactly. And, and I don't know if you've heard Warren Buffett talked about this in an interview I saw once. He talked about like the fact that, you know, he has a lot of money. At the time, he was like the richest man in the world, I believe. Mm -hmm. But he talked about the fact that, that he gets no more time in a day than you do. Yeah. And so his most valuable asset is his time. Yeah. Because no matter how much money you have, you can't make the day 25 hours long. Yeah. You can't pay for another hour yourself. Mm -hmm. But you can, you know, get access to more time and experience through others. Yeah. And that's why sometimes the price you can't afford is your time. It's mm -hmm. not your money. Yeah. And it, that's another reason why founders and, and you know individuals need to, to have this in mind. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if you ever thought of doing a TED Talk, but I think you have a TED Talk right there because I think that, you know, I, I mean, I'm pretty involved with business. Obviously, I work in business and talk to a lot of business leaders all the time through the podcast or for work. And I think there's there's something to be said for my, I immediately think of like an org chart and here's all your employees and everybody that's working at your company. And if you really think about it, yeah, every minute that passes is a minute that you in this part of the org chart are involved in, where you have all these experts in their own industries, especially if you assemble the team very well, that mm -hmm. all have years backlogged of experience and specialty in what they're doing. Um, and the better you set up that team, the better, of course, because of the experience they bring to the table and the know-how and even just the insights they bring. But that is, I think there, there's a TED talk in there just about how you build that team and how every time you add a new employee, you're not just adding a new employee that you're going to pay hourly or a salary. They're going to work this many hours, but you're also, you're really buying those years of, you know, like you said, blood, sweat, and tears of experience that they're bringing to the business. I think you could really highlight that in a really cool way. Um, to kind of put a, a stamp on, you know, recruiting and how important recruiting is when it's done right and those types of things. Yeah. That's brilliant. And that, the other things that are additive as well, mentors, you know, I mentioned mentors are important. Yeah. Well, as a founder of a company, um, a business owner, you want to be creating mentors in your organization yeah. that will basically create a talent farm. When I was at Disney, I was, I was well known in, within finance for, you know, hiring and developing really successful financial executives. Mm -hmm. And then other teams would poach them from my team <laughs> and, and they'd move to other parts of the company. And people, one day somebody asked me, said, man, doesn't that really bother you that all these people keep poaching your people? And I said, no, that's the ultimate sign of success. Yeah. That means that other people recognize that I've, I'm building you know, people mm -hmm. into something capable. And I said, the other benefit you're ignoring is now they move to another part of the company, whether it's in the company or outside the company. I now have a friend and an ally that knows that I was totally committed to their career and helping their development. Mm -hmm. Now, if I ever need to call that division or that other company, I've got someone who you know, will take my call and that you know, we, we've got a you know, trust already established. Yeah. And so that ability to talent farm, rather than, you don't always have to buy it externally, but if you're not farming it, you do. Um, there yeah. are some things that you can be planting the seeds now and it'll take, you know, take a few years for the crop to, you know, to ripen to, for harvest. But if you're not 
planting seeds today that you're going to har- plan on harvesting later from a talent standpoint, then you're, you're doing yeah. it wrong. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Yeah, there's so much there. I, I think we could spend the rest of the time just digging into everything <laughs> you're, you're bringing up. But I do want to kind of dive a little bit deeper into advisory zone. I know that if anybody looks at your LinkedIn, which we'll probably link to your LinkedIn in the show notes, so everybody can go check it out if they'd like. Um, but I mean, you have a lot of roles and a lot of positions, but you were saying it kind of all ties into advisory zone where you're the founder and CEO of that. Um, and so I, I know you kind of already slightly mentioned what you guys do there, but maybe, maybe a, a good way to kind of describe it or to kind of open up the front door for everyone to see into would be, you know, what's your, I don't know, ideal client. I, I kind of hate saying that buzzword, but what's your ideal client? And when they come to you, like, what are they going, like, what are you going to see and, and what kind of things do you do? And I know that's a very narrow sure. request for a very broad topic because your answer is probably it depends because it depends on what they need and where they want to go. But, you know. Yeah, fair enough. But there are some, there are some patterns here. So um, one of the most common areas that we get involved at Advisory Zone is with companies that are preparing to raise money mm-hmm. or that have recently raised money. Mm-hmm. Um, the preparing to raise money, part of that is because we've got a lot of financial experience doing capital raises. You know, mm-hmm. I did lots of M&A work at Disney. I've also done VC work. I've done, I've worked in, in PE and I've, um, I've helped people raise money. I've helped people exit and sell businesses. And I've got a lot of people that surround me that have similar experience. So mm-hmm. if someone is preparing for capital raise, even if you're, you're further out, but you, you just need to start to learn what it takes to be successful raising capital. Um, a, a lot of people have never done it before. And, and if you've never done it before, there's a lot to learn before you get you know, in front of an investor or, or a lender. Um, the other thing that we help people with is deciding which path they should take with a capital raise. Uh, the fact is that equity is the most expensive way to access capital because you're giving up ownership of your business. Yeah. And I have to assume that if you're the owner of a business, you feel that it's valuable or you wouldn't be doing it. And so yeah. giving up ownership in that is like giving away part of, you know, you're not giving away your, one of your kids, but you're giving up a piece of them, you know? Yeah. And so um, debt is a cheaper option. Bootstrapping is, you know, hard, but is you know, the least expensive of all. But th- yeah. the fact is a lot of people don't have enough experience with capital raising to know what their options are. So we'll mm-hmm. explore that with them and develop a roadmap and then help them understand what the fundamentals are that they're going to need to put together. So people mm-hmm. who, who need help putting together a data room or developing a pitch deck, people who need to put together a business plan, a marketing plan, a commercialization plan. Um, one area that we help people with with capital raises, we do technology transfer from universities. Um, one of the partner firms that I'm also involved in is called Accelerum Partners. And Accelerum has a preferred relationship with four of the top 10 universities in the country. And we take technologies mm-hmm. developed by professors and their graduate students, and we create businesses from them. And so yeah. um, we're wow. inv- you know, there are other people who um, may need help with that type of an effort. Um, the second area that we help with is revenue acceleration. Um, that could involve mm-hmm. help with sales, setting up a sales team. It's the minute you've raised capital, one of the most common uses is to put more uh, resources into your sales function. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times it's more marketing. And so we have partners and practice areas that um, are experts in marketing, in launching new products, uh, opening new markets. We've got people who are uh, experts at structuring a sales team. They can do sales staff augmentation. Mm-hmm. So they can bring people in in an interim way while you're hiring permanent people. 
And then we also help with mm -hmm. incentive compensation, how to set up sales, you know, a sales comp plan. And, and all of these things are, are meant to be revenue generators. The third area and the final area where we, mm -hmm. um, where we uh, do a lot of work is in offering services that help scale a business. And I'll give you, a, for example, mm -hmm. one of uh, the practice leaders in Advisory Zone used to run the delivery network for Amazon Prime. Before that, mm -hmm. he ran the last mile um, logistics for FedEx. Um, he and his team are remarkable. And he's got the same band together that he had at FedEx and at Amazon. And we help with his practice area. We help businesses that need help with their warehouse operations, fleet yeah. management, if they have vehicles that are doing deliveries, um, optimizing logistics, um, how to sort out pricing and inventory levels. There's a lot of issues that like e-commerce companies and people yeah. who sell physical goods, they're, they're usually really good at developing products or in selling. They're not always as good at the back, back end of that with, you know, somebody has to pull the product and ship it. And mm -hmm. we've got a lot of deep experts that can help with that. And then we can also help in other areas. Um, billing is another one that people may not be really strong at collections. Um, we help with medical billing. Um, we help with, um, first party collections where you actually have people outside of your organization managing your accounts receivable, but mm -hmm. they wear your flag and, you know, they got your brand on when they do it. And there's a lot of different things like that that we, but our goal there is to help people get from here to there and have it, you know, elevate the, the scale of their business in a profitable way. And mm -hmm. in most cases, we're not a permanent solution. We're there to help them as a personal trainer to teach them mm -hmm. how it's done. And then we, take the training wheels off and we let them pedal away without us later. So we're there as a, a bridge to a better outcome. Mm -hmm. and, like an on -ramp. and so yeah. it's, it's a fun place to be. As you can tell, I get a chance to help people raise the money and the fuel they need to accelerate the business. I can help them actually get the traction they need from a revenue standpoint. And then I get a chance to solve issues for them so that they can keep the success rolling. And as a result, I meet fascinating people in a variety of industries different company sizes. I've worked with from pre-revenue to multi-billion dollar companies. And along the way, it's a mix of problem solving and um, developing people and talent and getting investors and lenders involved in exciting ways. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun. It's yeah. certainly more exciting than I ever thought I'd see in my career, but uh, <laughs> I'm grateful for the opportunity. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. So the word that comes to mind for me is curiosity or you know, maybe you could say always learning, right? I mean, it's kind of the common thread in your story from when you first, you know, started getting interested in finance and accounting and marketing and all of that. And as time has gone on, like you're still getting to learn new businesses and see new products and help facilitate all that. And then you're applying all the, the things you've learned, as you said, you know, kind of that knowledge, that time that you can't get back. You're applying all of that knowledge capital to these startups, but then you're also getting to learn a little bit about a new industry see how that works. And yeah, you're basically just on ramping a bunch of, of solid businesses and helping them get through that, especially that critical first, I don't know, two to three years, it seems with almost any time you're raising capital. Um, yeah, I call it brilliant. the curiosity snowball. Yeah, there you go. So I, I'm right on because track. Because just as guess. a snowball, <laughs> when you get it rolling, it gets bigger as it goes. Yeah. The fact is that every opportunity that I take on at Advisory Zone, mm -hmm. I share what I've learned elsewhere 
but I always learn from every client mm-hmm. about something new. Yeah. And that's the awesome part about it is you, you get to leverage things. That's why I'm a consultant, by the way, is I realized after I left Disney and after doing some work in private equity, that if I went into a traditional corporate role, they were going to only reward me for one of the things I've done. Mm-hmm. But as a consultant in the space I'm in, yeah. I get I get to add value with all of the collection of everything that I've learned. And I'm a pretty eclectic mix of mm-hmm. industry and functional area and um and and the people that I've met along the way. Yeah. But I think anyone can get the curiosity snowball rolling. It may be small, really small when you start, mm-hmm. but you know, if you keep working at it, it'll get pretty big and eventually yeah. it'll have its own momentum. And, you know, it's kind of like that scene in Indiana Jones and Ridge Lost Ark where he's running from the big boulder. Yeah. I mean, you can get something pretty big and pretty impressive going if you'll just work at it and always be looking at, you know, asking the question of why is it that way? How does it, how does that work? And mm-hmm. it's what also makes your job a lot more fun. I mean, yeah. learning how things work, it adds more to your everyday, you know, work experience. And it's nice sometimes that you can learn stuff and then walk away from it. I don't always mm-hmm. have to be the guy who's you know handling that. Sometimes you learn something's really complicated, and you're glad when you walk away from it. You're not dealing with that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. You find out what you do and you don't like. I think yeah. that ties in a little bit too, because like the reason I even started this podcast, I've listened to podcasts for years and just never found something interesting enough to do a podcast on, and then um, have the job I have now, and started sitting in you know boardrooms with you know, CEOs, HR departments, finance, and just realizing every business is different every, and just that kind of opened up that curiosity flood for me of just like, wow, this is awesome. Like, I'd love to be able to spend an hour with that person and understand where they're coming from. But, you know, I have an hour to do a presentation or a meeting or, or to, you know, do some consulting on something specific. And so that's kind of where this was born out of was just that desire to to kind of be a little more curious and be able to understand what's going on, even within a singular industry or, you know, with businesses like yours. Um, so, so basically advisory zone, if I was to sum it up, you being the founder and CEO is it's almost like you took a lot of relationships that you already had and a lot of even, you know, companies that you were on the board for, or you're a partner at, and you just basically said, what would happen if we all talk to each other since, you probably were doing that on a regular basis, right? Someone comes in, into yes. Accelerum and you're like, oh, you need to reach out to, you know, preferred CFO or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And all the other companies mm-hmm. you're attached to. So you basically just by creating advisory zone, you said, okay, let's take all these disparate companies that I am in one way or another involved in or know people at, let's put it all together so that you come in, you walk through one set of doors and you have everything kind of at access based on your needs, your goals, you know, how fast and how steep that incline is for your on-ramp, basically. Exactly. And it has three primary benefits. One is um, all of the member firms, they all have um, expertise that's different, mm-hmm. but they also have a captive client base. So they they can all share and connect opportunities between each other. Mm-hmm. If they know a client needs something, but it's yep. something they, they're not good at, they now have other people they can hand it to and you know that they can pull in. The second yeah. benefit is for the clients themselves, obviously, because through one relationship, they can gain access to a buffet of um, different mm-hmm. services. And the third benefit is from a networking standpoint, it benefits clients, it benefits the partners, and frankly, it benefits um, me tremendously because I, I now mm-hmm. have an excuse to talk to anyone. And it's a really fun <laughs> role to be in yeah. because um, in a lot of cases, we 
make introductions that actually result in revenue generating deals. People that I know yeah. may not need a service, but they may, you know, someone else I have in my network might be a potential customer for them. So I mm -hmm. put it this way. I seldom at this point have a conversation with someone that doesn't result in some type of value. And that's yeah. probably the thing that I'm the most proud of at this point, considering that my dad worked for the forest service his whole career. And my mom was a teacher's aide and I came mm -hmm. from a tiny town. It's yeah. remarkable to me that I can have conversations with people in 20 different industries on different continents. And in every case, I can come away with a way to add value. Um, yeah. That's what tells me ultimately that this curiosity snowball and the willingness to work, you know, good mentoring and the, the willingness to learn things and, and network with a purpose can unlock mm -hmm. tremendous opportunity for anyone. And, um, yeah. You know the uh, the last thing that I that I would want to say that we haven't touched on is uh, one of the most important keys to my career success is is a, a lesson I was taught by a mentor early in my career, and it's it's some basic hungers that every human being has that if you understand and you feed are very powerful. The first is the mm -hmm. the hunger to belong, to be a part of something bigger than yourself, and and that takes a lot of uh, of different shapes and, and forms. The, the second is the hunger to be heard. Um, the third is the hunger to be understood, which is different from being heard. Mm -hmm. um, the fourth is the hunger to be appreciated. And it, what you find is no matter how small your contribution is, if I let you know I appreciate it, I'll get more from you. Mm -hmm. And yep. it's, a, it's a force multiplier in that way. Some people think, oh, they don't give me very much. Why would I thank them? I'm like, well, you'll get less. That's one yeah. reason, you know, <laughs> you, if you appreciate what they do, you'll, you'll get more. I learned that teaching youth basketball. You know, I, I had one yeah. kid, I, I was trying to figure out how do I rec catch him doing something good. And I literally in one game had to yell, you know, good job running down the court. You know, it was like, that's all he was yeah. doing. That was good. He was, but I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you what, he ran even harder after I called that out to him. So um, yeah, right. <laughs> the, the, the last few hungers are, are the most important ones, which is the hunger to be trusted and the hunger to be loved. And mm -hmm. the fact is that, um, you know, learning how to apply those truths in the business world can unlock tremendous power. And you and it it's a sliding scale. You start with a sense of identity and culture. Mm -hmm. You work to giving people an opportunity to share their ideas and be heard. Yeah. Um, you work you work their way up to where, the, you know, they're feeling understood and appreciated. But when you get to that point where they're trusted, and they really feel that you care, mm -hmm. um, they'll start running through brick walls for you. They'll take bullets for you. I mean, it, it's really crazy what um, what you can unleash. And it has to be authentic. You can't be you know, faking can't it. manufacture it. But yeah. if you're seriously committed to feeding those hungers in other people, there is no limit to what you can achieve and what barriers you can overcome. Mm -hmm. And so I, I've found personally that the key to creating my own luck in my career has been always be curious and um, Look for mentors, both inside the company I'm in and outside mm -hmm. at all times. And then that third one is to, you know, basically to feed other people's hunger. And if you work hard mm -hmm. at those things, um, I don't care what you're involved in, you're going to be more successful than you, you would have been otherwise. Yeah. And, uh, what, you know, I'm just fortunate I've run across mentors who've shared some of these things with me. And hopefully some of what we've talked about here will be, you know, valuable to others yep. so they can pass, you know, keep paying it forward. But um, it, it's, uh, 
some pretty basic principles that have a lot of power and can really do a lot of good in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think there's no more apt time to talk about it than now. Uh, for those listening two years down the road, we're in beginning of 2021. Um, and so still in the, I guess what is being called the COVID-19 crisis. Um, and a lot of businesses turned upside down. I mean, if we want to talk restaurants, that's a whole gamut on its own. Um, and, and I know we discussed this briefly before we went on air, but you know, just pulling from all of that experience and all of your knowledge uh, in, in finance and outside of finance and just as a leader, you know, any, you know, off the cuff advice for businesses right now? Is there maybe a common thread you're seeing that you're just looking at a lot of businesses making the same mistake or just really not taking into consideration something that they should be? Yeah, there's, there are a few things um, that, I, that I see frequently. One is um, always look to build your business credit. The fact that you know, the debt side of accessing capital can be frustrating for a lot of people because the, the old saying is that um, a, a lender will never give you money when you need it. <laughs> but when you don't need it, everybody shows up and wants to give you money. right? Yeah. And so uh, th- there's a lot of truth to that because what do they care about? They don't care. Lenders don't care about um, your future earnings and mm-hmm. like how big this business could be. Yeah. They care about whether you can pay interest expense, and you can pay back the loan. That's all they care about. Mm -hmm. Well, the reality is that debt is a lot cheaper than equity. So anything you can do at an early stage in your business to build your business's credit um, is going to save you money when you need access to more capital. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, one of the most common things I do with businesses, I make sure that founders get a business credit card. Yeah. So many of them are using a personal credit card. <laughs> and I understand why at the beginning you have to do that in a lot of cases. But I'll tell you, there are there are places out there that'll give you a business credit card even if you just formed your company. Mm-hmm. And it may only have a really small uh, credit limit. Like limit, yeah. when I got married, I was young when I got married. My wife and I, our first credit card, it, we were so proud of it. It had a $100 credit limit. We couldn't <laughs> even buy an airplane ticket on our credit card at the time. <laughs> But yeah. at this point, we sure have good credit, and it's because we got started and then we built it over time. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of business owners, they realize that banks aren't going to give them a lot of money to, to begin with, but they make the mistake of not paying attention to building the track record that will get a bank to give them more money. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a way to sometimes stretch your capital between equity rounds. Uh, so I think that it's really important that people work on their business credit. This, a second thing that I would say I, I see a lot of people make mistakes on is they they tend to hire uh, people who are too junior um, when it's time to start to scale their business. And I'll tell you right now with the COVID thing, there's a lot of really good talent available. There have been some businesses yeah. that have been really hurt, and there are some really talented people on the market. This is a great time mm-hmm. to be looking at what type of gaps you have on your team. And especially the yeah. type of skills and knowledge you're going to need to grow for the next three years, not just what will mm-hmm. you know, take care of the business today, but the business down the road. This is a great time to be doing some talent planning and thinking about like, what am I going to need? And ultimately, your goal as a founder should be to make yourself obsolete. You want to build a team that if you went on vacation for a month mm-hmm. to Europe, everything would still run. Well, there's <laughs> no way that's going to happen at the beginning of a business. But if you have that as your yeah. goal, you'll get a better outcome because you're going to have a team working with you that in some cases will be smarter than you mm-hmm. or more experienced than you at certain things. So I think right now, yeah. a lot of businesses are, I think, 
they, they may be hiring again, but I think they're being too tactical and not strategic enough with the way they're thinking about mm-hmm. their talent um, and what they're doing. And then the, the third thing that I would say is um, I would I see a lot of businesses that are focusing on the way they've made money to, up until now, and they haven't diversified enough in their business model and their customer base. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you that COVID is a great example of how badly you can be hurt if you're not diversified. Um, one of the most yeah. common issues I see with founders of companies is they have an initial product when they launch their company or product or service, and it's their cash cow. It's like the lifeblood of their business. Later, they, they add some other products, but they lose track of how profitable that initial product was. Now, now you know, it's easy to tell mm-hmm. if a product is profitable when it's the only product you have. You know, you look at your revenue, yeah. you look at your expense, and you know where you're at. But when you have multiple products, now you have to do some analysis to know which one is profitable and which one's not. In a lot of cases, what happens is they launch new products, but they start to lose track of what happened with their original product or service. And sometimes that mm-hmm. original product or service deteriorates or something changes in the industry and their core product is not like doing as well as they it once was. And if you're not conscious mm-hmm. of that, you can end up driving off a cliff without knowing. And that's one of the reasons why if you don't have a CFO and you're approaching um, the, that maturity curve in your business, usually when you have multiple products, you're under more than one roof. If you're dealing in more than one currency, um, especially if you go international with uh, with your distribution or your sales, there are certain things that add complexity to your business. And it's usually complexity, not volume, that tips companies over. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it, yeah. because complexity makes it harder for you to to in, inherently read how your business is doing. And so as people add yeah. complexity, they, that's when they need to start looking at whether they're investing in the expertise that they need. If you're just running the same product over and over again, you may not have that complexity. Um, then the risk you've got is if you're a one-trick pony and if something happens to that pony, you're in big trouble. But as you start to diversify, yeah. you got to make sure that you're you're um, addressing the complexity that that builds up around it. Yeah, no, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I my thought immediately goes to restaurants and those that were ready with Grubhub and whatnot for this, mm-hmm. because that is in some ways the only thing keeping a lot of restaurants open is the to go food. Especially, I'm in Southern California, so we're still semi locked down. I would say is probably the best way to put it, and. Um, and so they had that other product line that maybe wasn't that big of a deal, wasn't that big of the pie. And now all of a sudden that sale, those sales have gone, you know, triple, but the other sales have gone away. And so that, that's a, a good kind of analogy to exactly what you're talking about. And obviously it's more complex. There's more to it um, than that, but that definitely makes a, a ton of sense. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I appreciate you uh, taking the time. I know you're an extremely busy person. Um, obviously after listening to this podcast, everyone will agree with me. <laughs> um but if someone wants to reach out to you, um, and, and maybe it's for one of two reasons, uh, maybe they want to reach out to you for advisory zone and they want to, you know, something you said resonated, they want to figure out, hey, is this something that my business should be involved in? Should we be engaging with advisory zone? Or if someone wants to reach out to you because they are or want to get into the finance industry, you know, and want to connect more on a personal level, at least at first, um, you know, what's the best way for someone to reach out to you, uh, maybe for both of those avenues? Yeah. So there's, there's three primary ways I'd suggest people get a hold of me. You, you're always welcome to email me. Uh, my email address is troy at advisoryzone.com. Mm-hmm. Pretty straightforward. Um, my LinkedIn profile, uh, you know, I've got a lot of people I'm connected to there and I'm, I'm always wel- welcoming opportunities to connect with new, new folks uh, on LinkedIn. 
And then the third is you can go to our website, uh, advisoryzone.com, and there's a contact us page in there, and you can enter your your email address and contact info, and then um, you know that's a way to connect with me personally. Or if you're interested in connecting with a practice leader in a particular area, it gives you the option of doing that as well. But I'd, I'd welcome the opportunity to talk to anyone. And if I'll be honest, if um, if I'm not going to be able to add a lot of value for you, chances are I'll know someone else who will. And I'll be quick to get you in front of them. <laughs> but um, there are a lot of people, I, I'm sure they'll see this podcast that um, that we could um, we have very interesting conversation and potentially help them with something that you know, is pressing on their mind right now. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. And just by way of reminder for everyone, as I always say, if you're going to connect with uh, Troy on LinkedIn, you know, send a note and put Business Talks podcast in there because his LinkedIn probably looks worse than mine does with, you know, 70 people wanting to request with you. And then you have to look at the profile and see why they're reaching out to you. Uh, so just put Business Talks podcast or something like that in the notes so that he knows, okay, that's where they heard me. This is someone I want to connect with um, and, and maybe get past that first filter layer of LinkedIn, what is now LinkedIn during the, the pandemic. You know, <laughs> Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate your time, Troy. Well, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. And honestly, thank you for what you're doing. And thanks to others like you. Yeah, it was because a to have you. You're, you're part of the um, process for pollen, pollinization. Yep. You know, yep. You're no, kind of absolutely. like a bumblebee that carries <laughs> pollen from one flower to another. And yep. I appreciate you, uh, you're putting some of, uh, some of this out today and hopefully it'll, it'll result in something good, but thanks again. I'm, I'm and, sure. Well, uh, yeah, we'll stay yeah, in touch. Thank you.